I invite you to turn with me this evening to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, we'll be reading the whole chapter this evening. We're drawing close to the uh, end of the Solomon saga. And this, sadly, is uh, perhaps the last positive chapter that we get to look at regarding Solomon. But uh, you may, if you know your books of Moses really well, you may notice at the end even of this section that we start seeing sin slipping in in uh, what might seem like an insignificant way, uh, but uh, I'll let you just think and look for that. First Kings chapter 10, this is the word of our God. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so, so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. 
Now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the, of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. And the throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Or if you have the other translation, it's, it's uh, peacocks. Thank you. I was going to say pheasants. Peacocks. Apes and, and peacocks. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules, at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities, and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and uh, Keva. The king's merchants brought them in, bought them in Keva at the current price. That is, they didn't bargain. They just went ahead and paid. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. Thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word and this description. We pray that we would in our mind's eye, be able to imagine just a little of how glorious this was. But Father, more importantly, we pray that we would understand how much greater the throne of our King Jesus, that as we gaze upon this chapter, 
we would be led to seek him. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, read this section, we can, uh, we can divide up the chapter pretty easily. I, I like how Dale Ralph Davis does it somewhat humorously. He does it something like this. Verses 1 through 13, we are shown uh, the queen of Sheba saying, this is unreal. And in verses 14 through 29, the narrator says, oh, you don't know the half of it. Or, or we could sum it up similarly that the queen tells us that Solomon's world is, is just wow. And then the Holy Spirit says to us, she's not, she's not lying. She's not exaggerating. It really is just as glorious as she says it is. She's put before us as the, the epitome of the nations seeking out Solomon. He didn't have to go on conquests. The world came and bowed before him without him ever drawing a sword. It's an astonishing chapter. And we know it wasn't just her because the rest of the chapter, and especially uh, verse 24, tells us, all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. The Queen of Sheba is just the best that the earth had to offer at that point. She perhaps is the wisest. Maybe she was the first one to act. Maybe she was his biggest supporter. Certainly no one beat her with spices. Uh, but she is, in one sense, just an example for us of the kind of thing that was seen in Solomon's rule every day. The world falling before the wisdom of Solomon. There's a lot perhaps we could say, uh, but one thing I think we need to just not miss is the story itself, how remarkable this whole account is. In the previous chapter, uh, chapter 9 ends, and remember the chapter divisions are just added uh, later on, but in the previous verses we'd read, King Solomon built a fleet, and that fleet went to Ophir and acquired all of this gold and brought it to Solomon. And it's most likely that that fleet, as it went to Ophir, wherever that was, we, we really just don't know some of these locations, uh, as it brought this, uh, uh, went out for Solomon to seek trade and gold, that at some point in that journey, it landed on the shores of the Queen of Sheba's land. There's some debate about where she was from as well. Ethiopia, of course, claims her but so does an, an area in Southern Arabian Peninsula. And they both seem to have some really good arguments. So we'll just have to leave it at, it was one of those places. If you're around Bob and Bethel, it was Ethiopia. And just stick with that. But, um, but either way, it's a place at, at where at some point these ships appear on the horizon. And they're not cheap ships. They're astonishing ships. We have a hard time envisioning this, perhaps, because of the smallness of our world, in one sense. I think it was in the 1990s, early 2000s, Thomas Friedman wrote a book, The World is Flat, where he talked about how our technology and our, uh, and our airplanes and all these different things have made it so that the world is really small again. 
And uh, I think that's true. If an Ethiopian or an Arabian walked through our door this evening, we might be like, we might be shocked. Wow, how did you, how did you find us? But we wouldn't shocked, be shocked that they could come from the other side of the world. We'd just be shocked that they found us here, right? But, but back then, this is an astonishing thing. Jesus describes the Queen of Sheba as being the end of the earth from Solomon. And to see ships appear on a horizon was not an everyday occurrence, probably, unless it was a big trading port. Here come Solomon's ships. They're majestic ships. They're the best, made out of cedar wood and other things. And who comes off the ships? The lowliest cabin boy on Solomon's ships would have been dressed like most nobles. And they come, and they're telling the Queen of Sheba and all else who will listen about a king, a king far away. The king that she had never heard of before in a kingdom that if she had heard of, it was probably just hearing about the Canaanites, maybe hearing about those slaves that escaped Egypt, but probably has had no clue about David's reign or Saul's reign or so far Solomon's reign. And all of a sudden here come these majestically dressed sailors talking about a king who is wise and virtuous and righteous and uh, gracious and astonishing. And specifically, as we'll come back to, I hope, seeing that this fame of Solomon is tied to one Yahweh God. So she personally travels to investigate it. What, what a thing. She doesn't send servants, go find out if this is true. She, she apparently had the thought, if this is true, this is one of the wonders of the world. I've got to go see this. And so she goes, she collects all the best riddles and enigmas that she can find to test Solomon. And she comes... And when she arrives, she looks, she asks, and she gives. That's a little out of order, but I'm going to take them in that order. Looked, asked, and gives. She looked, verses 4 and 5. And the result of her looking is utter amazement. Now notice what she looks at. Later in the chapter, we're going to see that unnecessary, as I called it, the ivory throne covered in gold, so you can't see the ivory anyway, and it could have just been pine, right? Just absurd, absurdly decadent, right? The, the most majestic throne, this chapter says, in the world. Uh, no other kingdom had something like this. Uh, we're going to see that at Solomon's uh, uh, hunting lodge or his summer cabin, where, you know, when whatever summer homes you all have that you're hiding from me, uh, probably have your old chipped mugs or the, the uh, random pieces of dishes and silverware that you have left over from college or, or whatever. It's the place where you put your least good stuff. Well, this chapter is telling us about the, uh, the house of the forest of Lebanon, which was Solomon's hunting cabin. It was his summer retreat. And we're told that there wasn't even, he wouldn't have 
had a silver cup there. We, we, you know, we used to take pride in silver-plated things in our culture. Solomon didn't even have pure silver. That was the chipped stuff. That Someone else could have that. Solomon's hunting cabin has only pure gold drinking vessels. So the second half of the chapter shows us the, the most extravagant about Solomon. But notice what it is that the Queen of Sheba looks at in verses 4 and 5. She does the opposite. Being a queen, she knows how things work. Your own apparel, your own drinking vessel, your own house are going to look the best. If someone's going to catch you uh, overextending your income, it's going to be how it looks, as the British would say, downstairs, right? The servant's quarter. That's what the Queen of Sheba comes and looks at. She comes in and she looks. She looks at the food on his table, okay, and the seating of his servants. <laughs> she sneaks downstairs to the kitchen and sees what it looks like when the servants sit down to eat. She looks at the cupbearers and the waiters and how they're dressed. In other words, she looks at the place where you would find something shabby to catch Solomon out as not really as rich as they've made him out to be. And what is her response? It's amazement. She, in essence, says, the wind is knocked out of me. She, she uh, declares that there's no more spirit in her. The wind got knocked out of me. I, I'm speechless. Just looking at the servants, I'm speechless. That's glory right there. She looked. She asked, verses 2 and 3. She asked, and I think there are probably three categories of questions which she asked. One of them is uh, emphasized or hinted at in Verse 1, she came to test him with hard questions, or that can be translated hard sayings. So here are the enigmas, the riddles, the philosophical questions, uh, the, the things that philosophers debate and can't really figure out, the things that make it into the, the mythologies as uh, the thing that stumped the wisest guru. She collects all the, the hardest riddles and she brings them to Solomon to test him. But I think there's a hint that there's more than just that kind of testing because I think after she's brought that, she does something else. We read in verse 2, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Now, if you buy the biblically unsound myths of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba getting together and having a relationship, then the, that verse is, uh, you know, she opens up her love to him or something ridiculous like that. No sign of that. She went home. She just went home. The text tells us that. No, when we read that she opened up to him about what was in her heart, she too is a queen, a ruler like Solomon is the king. And just as Solomon had hard cases, remember? Two women gave birth in the same house, hadn't yet gone out in public. No one had seen their babies yet. One baby died, and they both claimed the living one. 
All the judges in the land didn't know what to do with it. It made its way all the way up to Solomon on appeal. No one wanted to judge that case. Well, every king and queen who is caring enough about their people to take cases like that has cases like that. The impossible case. The no-win ruling. No doubt she brought him all that she had had in her reign or all that her father or mother had had in their reign that they didn't know how to judge and laid them before him. Maybe it's too late to actually rule on it, but she hears and she knows this would have been the right answer. She opens her heart to Solomon about all that weighs on her. But I think maybe a a third category of question as well, and this is hinted at in verse 1, and I want to come back to it at the end, And that is that when she heard of the fame of Solomon, the fame of Solomon is concerning the name of the Lord. And a literal way to translate that would be, she heard of the fame of Solomon belonging to the Lord. Is there any doubt then that her heart, if that's what she had heard of, might have some questions about the name of the Lord. And no doubt she opened her heart regarding him as well. Well, she looked, she asked, and then she gave, verses 6 through 9. And she gave praise. She praises Solomon. She praises him on the basis of his lowliest servants. Oh, the person who has to open a door for Solomon. Queen of Sheba says, Better to be a gatekeeper in the house of Solomon than a queen in Sheba. Well, she doesn't use those words, but that's basically what she says, isn't it? She says, those who are serving upon your every need are continually blessed by getting to hear real wisdom. She praises Solomon. She also, though more importantly in verse 9, praises the God who has given Solomon this wisdom and fame and given Solomon to Israel as a wise king. She also then gives spices and precious metals. And then as she departs, Solomon sends her away with great gifts. Notice that Solomon not only gives her what he always gave to a visiting dignitary, that would be the royal generosity, But then he also says, ask anything else you desire of me, and it's yours. And he sends her away with all that she asks for. Solomon, like Christ to whom he points, is not a stingy giver to those who come to him. And I think we, as we gaze at Solomon, of course, we can think of him as a picture of Christ and realize that Christ does not give in a stingy manner. Remember what Paul says? That he gives above what we are able to even imagine or ask. Solomon paints the picture of that by sending her away with great abundance. Well, I I want to focus on two lessons then for us from this story of Sheba and Solomon. And both of them spring from that one 
sentence right at the beginning. I, I want to read it to you again. It's so important. We read, Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. It's a long statement, but it's one that you cannot grammatically separate the way it's been written. The fame of Solomon belonging to the name of the Lord. It's a big statement, and I think it teaches us then as we look at the text something about the queen and something about the king. So I want to fo first focus on the queen. I think queen, we don't actually know her name. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, as Jesus refers to her, she teaches us how to respond to the fame of the name of the Lord. How do we respond to the fame of the name of the Lord? It appears she didn't, as I've already said, come just for the spectacle of an amazing kingdom or just to test his brain, but to learn about his God. And so I think, and children, I really want to challenge you with this this evening, all of us, but you children especially. Your parents talk to you about Jesus. When they talk to you about Jesus, they're talking to you about his fame how great he is, how rich he is, how abundantly wise he is, how good he is. And when they're sharing these things for, to you, how will you respond? Well, you should be like the Queen of Sheba. Actually, Jesus tells you, you should be like the Queen of Sheba. He says this in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, the queen of Sheba will rise up. Jesus says the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. That's Jesus telling each one of us, we should imitate the Queen of Sheba. She heard of the fame of Solomon, and she went to investigate. And she probably received such teaching as, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And other gems like that. Jesus is saying we will be either standing next to her on the day of judgment because we too have sought the one greater than Solomon or we will be judged by her on the day of judgment. And so we should consider her, each of us, children, now is a good time to be like the Queen of Sheba. I think we can sum up her in four thoughts that we can imitate. First, seeking out to see if this king really exists. She heard of a king. He seemed really far away. She couldn't see him. She couldn't call him up on the telephone. She couldn't zoom him on the computer. He could have just been a myth. 
He could have just been made up. And she traveled from the end of the earth to go and find out, does this king exist? We, when your parents' children talk to you about Jesus, they're telling you about a king who is real, but he feels like he's very distant. You can't see him with your eyes. You can't call him on the phone, although you can pray to him by the Holy Spirit. But we hear of this king. Will we search out to see if he exists? Where will you find him? I think there are two answers. One is that we find him in the scriptures. That's one of those catechism questions we're about to get to this summer. We find him in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So search the scriptures to see if your parents are right, the Bible. Second, Jeremiah tells us, God tells Jeremiah rather, that we will find him when we search for him with all our heart. The Queen of Sheba came, she sought, she found him, and she opened up her heart to him. We come to the one King eternal who knows our hearts and our minds, and he who knows our hearts and our minds, we are to seek him with all of it, not hold any part back. So searching to see if he really exists. Secondly, the Queen of Sheba asked. And so the second thing we need to do to be like the Queen of Sheba is ask questions to expand our understanding. She asked Solomon questions to expand her understanding of who Solomon was and how great his wisdom. And we are to ask questions of him to understand him better. We ask that as we look at his word. Um, C.H. Spurgeon, in a sermon, I believe, on this text, gave us some sample questions. Questions like, how can I be made right with God? That's something to ask and search out for him to answer. Or how can God both be just and righteous and justify me? That's a question we might open before. But there are many other questions. Like the Queen of Sheba, we need to open up our hearts and ask him for understanding. Remember what James, the half-brother of our Lord, said. Does you, do you lack wisdom? Let that person ask, and God will give wisdom. And so, not only searching, but asking for wisdom from God. Asking Him to reveal Himself to you in all His glory and wisdom. Third, having sought Him and asked questions and found Him in the Scriptures, the Queen of Sheba uh, sets us an example of confession. She confessed just how great this king really was. And we need to do the same. We confess from our hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that lordship is majestic and glorious. As we sang at the beginning of the service, not just that he has a house made of cedars. No, he speaks and all those majestic cedars splinter. They turn to toothpicks before his glory. Do we confess these things? And then fourth, coming off of that confession with sacrifices of praise. She came and she not only confessed about Solomon, but she 
sang praise to God. Blessed be the Lord your God. And is that what we're doing as well? Not just confessing, but bringing a sacrifice of praise to our great King. So how do we respond to the fame of the name of the Lord? We're to respond by being like the Queen of Sheba in these ways. The other application I think we can make, though, is how do we use our gifts? Because you, you see, as Solomon represents Christ, we can look at what the Queen of Sheba did and draw application for ourselves approaching Christ. But we also know that Solomon was a man like us with sin. And so we can also look at him and say, what did he do with his fame? What did he do with the gifts of wisdom and riches and power that God had given him? And it's a, it's a good hint at what he did with it when we find out that his servants reached the other end of the world where the name of Yahweh hadn't even been heard, and they didn't say, there's this amazing king by the might of his own power and the wisdom of his own intellect. He has established the golden age. No, they said, by the grace and blessing of Yahweh God, this king has reigned in wisdom. What do you do with your gifts? How do you use them? Do you use them for him and to the praise of him in such a way that he receives the fame? I get that that's a really hard question. Because when, when I even reflect on, on giving Christ the praise for the gifts he gives, sometimes what we might think of is celebrities holding those cheap plastic trophies and saying, well, I got to thank my mom and my coach and my Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, I didn't know you knew that name uh, other than maybe as a swear, right? So, so the idea of giving the glory to God can feel like a cheap throwaway. And yet we need to think deeply, how do we live and act in such a way that when people see our greatest successes, they see it as the glory of God through us and in us. We need to do this with clarity. You see, Solomon apparently wasn't confused yet as to the source of his success and the source of his fame. We often are confused about the source of our success in pride and in, in self-aggranding uh, 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 thoughts. And so we need to praise him and live for him with clarity like Solomon. And also I think we see Solomon doing all of this for the glory of God bountifully serving others. They come to worship him or exalt him, to praise him. What does he do? He points them to God and then he sends them away with riches. And do we use our gifts in such a way that benefit and bless others on the, in the name of our God? I'll leave you to think about all of those things. Here today, we are called to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found, while he is near. Seek him with all our hearts, and we will find him. 
and we will see the greatness of his glory. Ask him for wisdom, and he will not withhold it from you. Let's